Well, good morning. My name is Penny, and I am one of the pastors here at Christ the King, and it's great to see you. If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning as we gather for worship, as we sing to our God. Um, we're uh, thankful that you'd be here. And we truly mean that, whether this is your first or, or second or third Sunday, or whether it's your 101st, whether uh, this is the first time you've ever set foot in this building, or you've been here since the very beginning, uh, we are glad that you're with us. Uh, we're glad that we can gather together as God's people to worship him and to come to his word. And the portion of his word that we're going to be looking at this morning is James chapter 3. We're continuing in our study of the book of James, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn to James 3. Remember, James is near the end of our New Testaments. It's found right after the book of Hebrews, right before the letter of 1 Peter. Um, there are also uh, Bibles in the chair in front of you, and you can find our passage on 1012, page 1012. But it's James chapter 3 is what we'll be looking at this morning. And if you recall, if you've been with us for, a few, uh, for the last few weeks, you'll recall that a few weeks ago we heard from James that God's people are not only to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers of the word. That he encouraged us that we are not simply to intake the word, we are not just simply to listen to it, to, to study it, to examine it, but we are to put it into practice. We are to be doers of the word. And as soon as he said that, he gave us three ways that we are to do the word, that we are to apply it. He said that we are to have care for those who are in need. We are to show mercy to the needy, that we are to pursue holiness, and that we are to guard our tongues. Now, those were the three ways that we are to do the word. We are to apply it. But clearly, the recipients of this letter, the, the first audience that James was writing to, needed to hear some more about those things, specifically that of the tongue, because James is returning to that topic, our words, our speech our tongues. He's returning to that in our passage this morning, and this is good, not just for the original audience, for the first recipients, but that's good for us, because the truth is, is that you and I both need to be reminded of the significance of our words. We need to be reminded of the power that our words have, and that's what James is telling us this morning, and so let's follow along James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, Wherever the will of the pilot, excuse me, strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man being, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word. And we ask that as we come to it, that you would teach us what it means for us to guard our tongues, that we would be mindful of our speech and that we would consider what our words might do and how they may affect others and ourselves. And so we ask that you would help us now, that you would help me so that the words of my mouth and that you would help us all so that the meditations of our spirits, that both these things would please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it's true that words do have power. We know this, right? From the very mundane conversations that we have to, to the significant, significant dialogues of our lives, we know that words have power. What we say and how we say things can have a great deal of influence over our recipients, over our hearers. Words have power, right? For instance, just the naming of something, right? The, the, the name that something might bear, it can sway our opinion about it. Right? Think about this. There, there's this fish. It's actually a quite ugly fish. It's kind of fatty. Uh, it's called a Chilean toothfish. Chilean toothfish. It didn't sell very well here in America until its name was changed to sea bass. And I bet many of you have had it. You didn't want to eat Chilean toothfish, but as soon as you see sea bass on the menu, you're ready to order it. Or I imagine that many of us were not inclined to use an oil called rapeseed oil, right? I mean, could you imagine in the kitchen, hey, honey, can you grab the rapeseed oil out of the cabinet for it, right? Like, we don't want to say those sorts of things. But when we know it by canola oil, well, many of us have that in our kitchens, right? Or one more thing, you know, how many of us, if we saw on the menu uh, a dish called dolphin fish, would want to eat that? Right? I mean, we don't want to eat flipper, right? Flipper's our friend. We don't want to dig into that. But when we hear dolphin fish named by its Hawaiian name, mahi-mahi, man, we're ready to dig in. That's good eating, right? Words have power. They have power. They can turn our stomachs or they can invite us into a gourmet meal. Words can have power. They can bring hope, right? Think about the great speeches throughout history, like Churchill saying that we will fight them in the seas and the oceans, the hills and the streets, the beaches. We will never surrender. Right? Those words in the face of fear can create courage. They can replace our fear with, with courage, with bravery. Words matter. They have power. Now, we like to think that they don't, right? We like to think that, no, I'm, I'm too self-confident, I'm too self-assured to allow the words of others to affect us. And so we have that childhood rhyme ringing in our heads, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but names, but words, they will never hurt me. And that is very self-assured, right? It's very self-confident that, that no matter what anyone would say, that will not affect me. It's a great rhyme. That's a complete lie right? Because the truth is, is that our broken bones over weeks or months, they will heal, but, but those words, those ill-intentioned, those, those hurtful words that we heard spoken by maybe a father or a mother, those hateful words, those 
those insensitive words maybe spoken by a spouse or a coach, right? We, we bear those. Some of you right now are bearing the wounds of those words even today. 20, 40, 60 years later, we can still hear them in our minds. Words have power. They have power to destroy. They have power to hurt, but words also have the power to encourage. Just this past week, I was telling Tobias that I have a file in my filing cabinet. It's called uh, Why I Do What I Do. That's what's written on it, why I do what I do. This is a file that, um, that I have filled with notes and emails and, and words of encouragement because believe it or not, sometimes pastors get discouraged. <laughs> and sometimes they feel down and sometimes they wonder, what are we doing? It just feels like we're spinning wheels and changing oil. What's it all for? Don't worry, I'm not feeling that today. Right? I haven't been, so you don't need to flood my inbox. But in those moments... It's helpful to open up that file and read words of encouragement, words of hope, words that say things are good, that, there is beautiful, that the, it is beautiful, that it is right. Our words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, our words have power, and that's what James is telling us. He's telling us that, that our words have the power to ruin. That's where he begins. Our words have the power to ruin. Look at verses 6 through 8. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you hear what he says? The tongue is a fire. It destroys. It's full of poison. And, and before we start thinking it is only poison to those that we inject it with, that it only brings ruin upon our hearers, notice that he's saying that it brings ruin upon the speaker himself. I mean, what did he say? The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. You see, our words don't just affect those that we are speaking to. Our words affect us. They stain our body. James is just picking up on what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, when he said, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. It defiles it makes us unclean. It stains the body. Our words affect us. They have the power to ruin us, but not just us. Our words have the power to ruin others as well. Look what he says in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Um, I taught at Covenant Seminary for a little while right after I graduated when I was a pastor in St. Louis and I taught homiletics preaching. And sometimes I would read this passage to the homiletic students, the guys who are about to preach right before they preached. <laughs> because I wanted them to feel the weight of what they were about to do. But it's not just for the preacher. It's also for all those who would teach. 
It's for all those who would lead, right? James is giving a word of caution because he knows that our words can influence and our words can easily sway people, right? They can sway them for what is good and beautiful, but they can also sway people to what is ugly and evil. That's why he says teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And we shouldn't just lump this up, you know, just go, well, you see, Penny, be careful what you say. It's not just an application for me, the pastor who stands up in front of everyone. It's also for the teacher in Sunday school. And it's also for the teacher at home teaching your children. And it's also for all those in leadership, anyone who might have authority, who might have the influence that we need to be careful of our words. And not just in formal occasions, like when we stand before a classroom or up on stage, but even in informal ones. Right? We must be mindful of our words in our side conversations, when we're online, in our text messages. Our words have power to lead people into what is good and true or into what is ugly and evil. And James makes it clear it's not just the words of teachers, but, but it's all of our words that have the power to ruin. Look at verses 9 and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so the picture that James is giving us is that God's people are leaving the house of worship. They've been singing praise. They've been worshiping God. They've been singing doxology, and their mouths are filled with blessing. But as soon as they leave, those same mouths that were filled with blessing are now filled with curse. We sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we're replacing that with, man, she drives so slow. What an idiot, right? Praise him, all creatures here below. is changed to that moron. What were they thinking? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the doxology is finished with, what a waste. I hate them. One moment our mouths are used to praise God, and the next moment they're used to ruin those made in his likeness. And whether you are a teacher or a leader, or whether you are a brand new Christian, James says it should not be so. It should not be so. So what should our words look like? We have to look at other passages in Scripture to see that because James is only concerned with the negative, right? Did you notice that? It's just don't do these things. Be careful of these things. So, so what should our words look like? If they are not full of cursing, what should they be full of? Well, we could look at a lot of places, but in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul helps us. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for the building up of others as fits the occasion, that I may give grace to those who hear. That is a wonderful line. I think that that might be the diagnostic tool that we need to use. That that did my hearers receive grace from my words? That before those words that I've been thinking about in my mind, before they find my lips, before I utter them to another, are they going to bring grace to my hearer? Those words that I've already spoken, that I've already sent out, did they bring grace to those who receive them? That's a wonderful diagnostic tool, and, and it's one that we should maybe take, use to take inventory of our words. Like, are our words 
are they primarily used to criticize and to tear down, or are they primarily being used to build up and to give grace to our hearers? Now, I imagine that many of you are even sitting there now thinking, yeah, but, but what about sin? What about when people sin, you know? I, I mean, that's the only time I criticize. That's the only time when I speak out, right? And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not saying we ignore sin. I'm not saying that we give a, a pass to it. But, but before we say, well, I'm just talking about sin, let us not give ourselves a pass. Because the truth is, is we use all sorts of disclaimers so that we can say whatever we want. Right? I mean, it's not gossip. It's just a prayer request. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've said that before. Right? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not being criticizing. I'm being constructively critical. And just telling the truth. And friends, before we give ourselves a pass, let, let us make sure that we're not using those disclaimers to, to pass over our own sin. To, to ignore the fact that, that we are wanting to use our words in ways that are not how God would call us to, that they are not full of grace. I'm not talking about ignoring sin, but what I'm talking about instead is imagining what it would be like for us as individuals and what it would be like in our homes and what it would be like in our church if our default language was grace, was kindness, was love. I mean, could you imagine what we would look like? What that would do to us if, if the words that came out of our mouth was filled with grace, it would change us, right? We would be more loving and we'd be more patient, we would be more kind and we would be full of life not ruiners of it. That is an, an amazing vision, y'all. Like, I, I cannot imagine how much more joy there would be in our homes if we filled our mouths with grace more than we did with criticism and anger. So James is telling us, be careful of our words because they have the power to ruin. But he's also telling us that our words have the power to reveal. They have the power to reveal, and they reveal our limits. Look at verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It truly is amazing what we can do to animals, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we go to the zoo, we go to the circus, we go to a sea world, and we see elephants and lions and whales doing things we could never imagine. And they're doing it at the behest of, of their trainer, of this one who has tamed it right, like jumping through hoops and fire and all these sorts of, right, it's, it's remarkable what we are able to do, how we are able to tame these beasts. Or even think about the analogy James uses in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. I mean, think about that. A horse weighs thousands of pounds. It is a powerful, powerful animal. But you stick a little bit in its mouth, and you put a tiny little girl on its back who knows what she's doing, and that little girl can make that powerful horse dance. It's amazing. It's remarkable. We can tame powerful animals, but we can't tame the tongue. And we know this, right? I mean, we've seen it throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, God's rebel man's rebellion against God, right? It began with what? Satan deceiving right? Uttering falsehoods, 
right? And then what? Adam and Eve, right away, they started using their tongues in, in ways that weren't for building up, but pointing fingers at others, right? It's not my fault, it's her fault, and covering up. And it, it continued on, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Their, their mouths are full of deception and lies. And then we turn to the New Testament, and Romans chapter 3, Paul speaking of the sinfulness of man, says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. But the truth is, friends, is we don't have to read it in Scripture to know this is true because we need to only look at our lives. Because we've experienced how our tongue reveals how we are limited, how we have not been able to control it, how we have not been able to tame it. So what do we do with that? I mean, do we just throw our hands up in resignation and go, well, I guess I'm just going to use my tongue for destruction? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is where our friend St. Augustine is helpful. St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, the fourth century pastor and uh, incredibly brilliant man, makes this astute observation. He says, James does not say no one can tame the tongue, but no man. So that when it is tamed, we admit that it was done by the mercy of God, with the assistance of God, and by the grace of God. You see, what Augustine is telling us, what he's picking up on from James, is that when we realize that our tongues show how we are limited, it should drive us to the Lord. It should drive us to God. When we see that we have used our tongues in ways that are not in keeping with God's call, it should drive us to repentance and ask for forgiveness. And in those moments when we do have control over it, when we use it in ways that are in keeping with God's word, it should drive us to thanksgiving. Recognizing it is not because of us, but it is because of him. You see, our tongue reveals our limits, but it also reveals our hearts. It reveals where we have put our hearts. You know, many of you know, in fact, probably all of you know, that I was a gardener in a past life. You know this because I can't go a month without talking about a garden. But, but uh, a number of years ago, a friend of mine gave me uh, bags of seeds, tomato seeds. They were about to expire. And, uh, and so he was going to give them to me because he, he had like 150 tomato plants. So he didn't need any more, so he gave them to me. And, and they were in Ziploc bags, and one of them was labeled Jubilee, and another one was cherry tomato, and another one was um, yellow pear tomato, and, and then there was one that was just labeled tomato. I said, John, well, what kind of tomato is this? Is it pink lady? Is it best boy? What, what, you know, cherry, what is this? Is it aroma? And he's like, I have no idea, Penny. You're going to have to plant it. So I planted it, so that's what I did. Because uh, just in case you're not sure, like you can't look at the seed and figure it out. <laughs> like cherry tomatoes look like yellow pear tomatoes as seeds, okay? So, so I couldn't just figure it out. So I dropped it in the ground and I watered it and sun shone on it and eventually the vines started to grow and the yellow flowers started to form. And when the yellow flowers were replaced by a tomato, I started to realize what it was. Right? It was over time that it was revealed to me what kind of tomato it was, and it was a best boy. <laughs> Which are really good, by the way. So it was a best boy. That's what was revealed. But I couldn't have known by just looking at it. I had to wait and see what that seed produced. And once I saw the fruit of it, 
then I knew what that seed was. And that's what James is telling us about our tongues. You see, James is telling us that our tongues, our words, are going to reflect who we are. It's going to reflect what's below the surface. Our words are going to show us our hearts. Look what he says in verses 9 through 12. With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Why should it not be so? Now he tells us. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What he's telling us is that if cursing is coming out of our mouths, it's because there are curses in our hearts. And he's just picking up on what Jesus himself said in Matthew 12. The tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. If you were here with us last week, you heard that James told us that our actions are going to reveal where we have placed our hope in whom we have put our faith. And now he's using the tongue as an application point. He's telling us that that our words are going to reflect whom we have trusted in. They're going to reflect where our hearts have clung to. So what this means is if you want to know the character of a man, if you want to know what's in the heart of a woman, listen to their words. Is he a gossip? Is she contentious? Are they argumentative and critical? Or do they build up? Do they celebrate others? Are they full of grace? You see, friends, our tongues will reveal who we are. And if you are in Christ, your words should reveal that. Your words should reflect that, that that if you are in Christ, that's who you are. You are the people of God. You are the church of Christ. You have the name Christian over you. That that's who you are. That you are those whom Jesus has given his life for. That you are those to whom he did not speak curse over, but he spoke blessing. That you are those whom he went to the cross and died for and rose again. And that even today he is using his words on your behalf. Because today he sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate, claiming that we are the kings, claiming that we are his, claiming that we are his people. That is how Christ has used his words for you so that we would now use our words to reveal whose we are, that we would use our words to show that we are the Lord's. And so people of God, Christians, Let us use our words, not to ruin, not to destroy, but to encourage. Let us use our words, not to hide who we are, but to reveal that we are Christ's. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have given us your son, this one who has spoken word of blessing and has called us brother and sister. This one who invites us into your family so that we can call you Father. And so we do. We call you our Father. 
we pray that you would help us so that our words would reflect that we are part of your family, that our words would be used for the building up of your church and for the advancement of your kingdom, that our words would reveal that we have trusted and hoped and loved our Savior, in whose name we pray, and God's people said, Amen.